I'm going to begin reading tonight in this 17th chapter of 1 Kings, verse number 7. We left off here last night. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow came, excuse me, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. That's reading down through verse 16. You'll find that the life of Elijah is not limited to 1 Kings chapter 17. But some great events in his life are recorded for us here in this portion. And so on the Lord's Day morning yesterday and the Lord's evening last night, the Lord's Day evening, I preach from this chapter and I'd like to give a further emphasis here tonight for the sake of those of you who We're not with us. I'm using the life of Elijah to preach on a God-conscious life in a man-conscious world. A God-conscious life in a man-conscious world. We noticed, first of all, yesterday morning, the heart possessed in a God-conscious life. Elijah was not just going through the motions. His heart was overwhelmed with God consciousness. Last night we looked at the hiding place in a God conscious life. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Tonight I'd like to use these verses that we have read to preach for a few minutes on the humble path 
the humble path in the God-conscious life. Now, living on top of a mountain, everywhere I go, I start out from that mountainside. If I'm going to Greenville, I go down the backside of the mountain, down through the Greenville watershed, and on out uh, uh, on the main road and going down to Greenville, 45 miles. If I'm going towards Spartanburg, I, I work my way through the metropolitan city of Saluda, come out to the interstate, I-26, go off the top of the mountain and follow I-26 down towards Spartanburg. If I'm going towards Charlotte, I go off the mountain and take uh, Highway 74 and go somewhat east. But everywhere I go, I go off the top of that mountain. That's my way because of where I live. But God's ways are not our ways. And in the God-conscious life, you don't start on the mountain. God often takes us through the low places to bring us up to the mountain peaks. Now, be assured there are several mountains in the life of Elijah. We're familiar with Mount Carmel, where he called down fire from heaven. Uh, We're familiar with Mount Horeb, where he found a cave and hid there. Uh, in his days of exile. In the New Testament, he's on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. He and Moses came zooming in and Christ spoke to them of his decease, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Some think that Elijah was one of those who appeared to be men on Mount Olivet when Christ ascended. And there are those who believe that he'll be one of those two witnesses during the tribulation period on Mount Zion. So he's associated with some mountains without question, and then there are some others that might be questionable. But he was a mountain man. We read earlier that he came... Uh, Chapter 17 and verse 1, he came from Gilead. This was not a a real, uh, what what we would call a uh, city of the plains or a place of the plains, but it was a mountainous area, Gilead. However, there must be low places. And I want to talk to to you about those tonight. Please don't uh, think, that I'm saying that the Christian life is all hardship. No. Thank God, though we go through storms, as the pastor has already pointed out, thank God for the rainbows. And thank God for the sunshine that breaks in on us in between the storms of life. But don't expect a Mount Carmel Until you've been down by a chariot, a brook, 
down to Zarephath at the widow woman's house. God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble. And in ourselves, most of us aren't interested in humbling ourselves. So God creates circumstances that knocks all the starch out of us. We find ourselves bowing before the God of all grace. I want to say several things tonight about the humble path in the God-conscious life. I'm going to begin with uh, chapter 17 and verse 7 where we're told that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Of course, you remember that the ravens had flown in supplies morning and evening for Elijah. Those were the supernatural provisions. And then he had drank, he had drunk of the brook daily. Those were the natural provisions. But now the brook has dried up. <laughs> I'm going to call the path then at this point. A path of divine interruptions. Things were going well. Elijah had had a three-year vacation. He's laid back. He's got him a little nest down here by the brook. God's sending in these special caterers twice a day. But then the brook began to get smaller. The force was weaker. And eventually, it dried up. I would say then that often God interrupts us through the ministry of the brook. That is the ministry of providential circumstances. The ministry of natural blessings seem to disappear. And so we're moved to change environments. We're aroused to find other places of solace. I thought of the ministry of the mother eagle when she has those little eaglets. She lets them enjoy the nest for a while. But then she begins to pull out the down. She gets rid of the sealy posturpedic. And the little eaglets fall down on the sharp sticks that form the frame for the nest. And they're forced to get out of the nest. They're pushed out of the nest. And the Bible said that God is like that mother eagle who stirreth up her nest. He messes up our comfort zone. He shakes up our little world. It's the path of the God-conscious life. Divine interruption. The ministry of the book is gone. And then I'm of the persuasion that since the brook no longer runs to help aid Elijah leave the place, 
The ravens quit coming. I'm going to call that the ministry of the birds. Why would they need to keep coming if God is sending him elsewhere? I believe often God allows us to enjoy special, significant blessings that we know come from God. But to keep us down where we need to be in our attitude, He may take some of them away to push us into other realms of Christian experience. The ministry of the brook ceases and the ministry of the bird ceases. I was interested in how the old, the old world produced their grape juice. First it was expressed from the hull, and that impure, thick juice was left in the vessels for a time until it fermented. And when it had done its work, there was a thick sediment called leaves. And uh, it had been precipitated to the bottom when all of this cleared out, and it was at the bottom then the liquid was drawn off into another vessel. This process went through several steps, drawn out of one vessel into another vessel again and again until the juice was clear and beautiful. Is that not what God is doing in the life of Elijah? He's brought him down to Cherith. And he's drawn out the juice. But now he would take him down to Zarephath and draw it out again. <laughs> In fact, you older Christians will agree with me. You never reach a point in the Christian life where God is not taking it out and making it more pure. Dealing with us that we might be a further blessing to others. The humble path in the God-conscious life then might be called a path of divine interruption. Don't get upset because the brook quits flowing. Don't get disturbed because the ravens quit flopping in with the supplies. God may be purifying the juice. God may be furthering you, widening you and expanding your Christian testimony. Thankfully, God did not leave Elijah to himself. But in this time of interruption, verse 8 reads, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thank God for light and guidance. Oh, I don't know where I would be tonight if I was left to my own ingenuity, my know-how. I would have taken so many wrong roads. I would have gone down so many paths that were to no avail. But in shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads His dear children along. And so we come secondly... To this truth, the humble path and the God-conscious life 
is also a path of divine instruction. The Word of the Lord came to him. Now, it's hard for us to wait in our, in our society. I mean, we get fast food. We, we go put in some money in a car wash. It washes our car in a few minutes. We have drive-through supermarkets, stores. Everything's just so fast. Well, at least it's supposed to be. I have waited a few in a few places that wasn't very fast. But I want to tell you, God often takes His time in leading us. And if we're not careful, we'll invent something to do for Jesus. <laughs> I have never heard of so many, and please don't take this wrong, I'm in favor of all God ordained ministries. But I have never heard so many ministries in my life. Everybody's got a special ministry. It's like they invent them. They hatch them out. I I heard the late Vance Hadner say on one occasion something along these lines. He was talking about how everybody, uh, he'd met someone who was... uh, uh, she had won the state beauty contest, and as a Christian, he said her ministry, he reckoned, was going around being beautiful for Jesus. Uh, he, said, he, he said, someday I expect soon to meet a full-time Christian pickpocket. And, and his little testimony will be, well, certainly it's all right, to lift their wallet from the rear pocket because I'm putting a gospel track in their front pocket. Well, I guess there's a little holy sarcasm there. But Elijah did not invent a new ministry. The brook was going dry, but he waited until God spoke. Oh, how important. May the Holy Spirit press that in my heart. And I I would not in any way try to suggest that it's always easy to discern the will of God. Boy, there have been some times when I just didn't know. I just didn't know. But I believe in God's timing and in God's season He gives instructions. I, I might say two things briefly about His instructions. First of all, These next instructions in the life of Elijah were definite instructions. You didn't have to vote on it. Verse number 9, the Lord said, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. And he gave some very detailed instructions which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there, behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. He names the town. He names the uh, people, the Zidonians. It belongeth to Zidon. He named a widow woman or mentioned a widow woman. Uh, I was was reading recently in the book of Acts. And uh, you know when, when Saul of Tarsus was smitten blind on the road to Damascus. And uh, the Lord is giving instructions. He said to that 
servant who was going to minister to Saul, who would later become Paul. He said, go to the street, call straight. Jesus was in heaven, and as far as we know, he never had been in Damascus, but he knew what street to to lead to. He knows more than you and I can ever, ever learn. He knows it all, and he knows it all perfectly. And so he's capable of giving definite instructions. Then may I add, these new instructions were also different. I love this. God's ways sometimes seem strange. The Lord sent him to Zarephath. That's that's a hundred miles away. And he's a wounded man. They're hunting him like a wild animal. And God lets him go out in front of people for a hundred miles. Notice, not only was it approximately a hundred miles away, but it was in Zidon, (laughs) Jezebel's father, was the king of the Zidonians. He's really sending Elijah into enemy territory. By the way, that's found in 1 Kings 16, uh, where... Her father is mentioned as the king of the Zidonians. It, it looks to me like he's going, he's, God is sending him right into the fire. And in fact, the name Zarephath means smelting furnace. He, he's leaving the brook and he's going to the fire. The smelting furnace of Zarephath, but he knows where to go. He knows where to go. I want to say that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, we humbly walk before Him, I believe that He gives instructions and guidance in His own time. The humble path in the God-conscious life is a path of divine interruption. It's a path, however, of divine instruction. We could probably stop at that point and say many other things, but let me move on to verse 10 where we learn that when Elijah arrived there, verse 10, when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. Now, forgive me for asking too many questions, but How did he know this was the right person? And how did she know she should be here? There's a hundred other places she can gather sticks. But she's in the gate of the city. I believe that God is making divine impressions. First, he's making a divine impression on the prophet. And Elijah came to the city and he saw the widow woman that was there. God impressed him. God prompted him. God made a deep, uh, did a deep work in his heart and he was aware this was the right woman. By the way, contrary to public opinion, God still makes 
decisive impressions in the hearts of men. Preaching almost every night of my life, I'm convinced like never before, it is not the messenger, and it is not the text, and it is not my colorful illustration. It is the deep work of the Spirit of God that makes everlasting impressions in the hearts of the hearers. He alone can make impressions in sinners' hearts. They laugh and mock and scoff and go on to hell unless the blessed Holy Spirit makes a deep impression. And Christians go through the motions and and just sort of live on the perimeters of God's blessings unless they have a deep impression that they must wholeheartedly follow Jesus. My wife and I feel, of course, just like you do, that we have three of the most precious children in all the world. We had some things come up some time ago, and I was sort of quiet. Seems like I do better when I shut my mouth. And uh, my, my wife said, well, what do you think? I said, I'll tell you what I think. You ask me, I'm going to tell you. I love my children with all my heart. But all three of them are going to have to have their own experience with God. We've tried to point them in the right direction, but only God can impress their hearts in a sanctifying measure. That's true with yours. That's true with my grandboys. As much as I love them, and as much as I try to say to them about the things of God, I realize God must make the impression in their hearts. That little one said to me recently, and I'm blessed with a large library. I I don't go deer hunting, but I go book hunting. And I have uh, amassed a large library over the years. My, My youngest grandson, he was in the office, he said, Papa, what are you going to do with all these books? Who are you going to give all these books to? He had heard somebody in the family say that. And uh, I, said, I said, I don't know, honey. I thought I might give it to the school, but they've got about all the books they need in their library. I said, I, I don't know what I'll do with my books. And out of nowhere, he said, maybe give them to me. I said, I don't know what the Lord has in mind. But you don't know what's going through a little one's heart, do you? I want to say God is able to lead us, prompt our inner man. Then I would magnify not only did God impress the prophet, or was there an impression involving the prophet, but there was an impression involving the place. This widow came to the gate. She's picking up sticks here. This is a busy place in the city. 
And usually the gate is clean when nothing else is clean. I mean the gate area. It's like my wife, you know, she thinks everything has to be perfect. If company comes by, everything has to be perfect. I say to her, oh, let's just clean up the gate. They're not going in the whole city. Just clean up the gate. She said, that's your problem now. You just want to clean up the gate. Well, God in his providence prompted this woman, this widow woman, to come to the gate. And there she's cleaning up the sticks. And unbeknowing to others, she's going to make a little fire and cook the last meal for her child and herself. I believe God's able to work on both ends of things. You believe that? I believe as Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain without a sacrifice, God is able to work on the sacrifice and bring it up the other side of the mountain. And just in time, in God's hour, the the need is met by the supply. Here, Elijah comes and the widow with whom he is to request, or of whom he is to request help, she's in the gate waiting on him. She didn't know it, but she's there. The path, the humble path of the God-conscious life is the path of divine impressions. Oh, may God save us from our little feelings and our little wranglings and our little ideas. Oh, to be a God-conscious soul. Do what God wants us to do. Not just what we think is best. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. Actually 12 and 13 as well. But we'll begin with these. I want to say fourthly, the humble path of the God conscious life is also a path of divine impositions. God often imposes on people. I'm going to make this statement. I used to make it and then I quit making it. But I'm more convinced of, of it ever than ever. God does not care how much He has to embarrass you and me to conform us to the image of His Son. Brother. Somebody said, well, I'm embarrassed. I don't know Hey, God doesn't care how much you and I are embarrassed if it conforms us more to the image of Jesus. (laughs) You think Jesus wasn't embarrassed? They stripped his garment. As far as I'm concerned, hung him upon a cross in nudity. Oh, my. He endured the shame. Despising it, he endured the cross and now is in the right, on the right hand of the throne of God. Well, how did God impose in this situation? Well, first of all, he imposed on this woman's food supply. 
Elijah. Oh, buddy, I'm sure if Elijah had lived in our day, the phone lines would have been buzzing. Did you hear about that prophet? I was told that 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 little woman's already about to die, and he's telling her that he needs something to drink and something to eat. And he said to her, you take care of the prophet first. Well, it wasn't quite that harsh, but I can hear people talking. He said in verse 12, or verse 13, he said, I, I don't want you to fear. You just go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. I believe God was imposing on this woman's unbelief. She thought she was going to die. She she thought it was all over. This is the last meal. She said, I'm going to dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Doesn't sound very hopeful, does she? At any rate, God imposed upon her food supply. And I might add, God imposed upon her family situation, her little boy. It's almost as though Elijah says, quit worrying about your son. Take care. I need a little cake first. God's imposing upon her family situation. I I wish I understood God's ways better. My wife said to me, after I'd had a battle with my nerves and some of our close friends found out about it, you don't like to brag on your weakness. You try to hide that. And some of our best friends found out about it and also picked up other little rumor that my wife and I had had some trouble. And my wife said, how does that make you feel? They're making it sound like you've had a nervous breakdown and that you can't take care of yourself or me. How does that make you feel? I said, I'll tell you how it makes me feel. It humbles me deeply. But God doesn't care how much he has to break us to make us what he wants us to be. (laughs) I can look back at it now and laugh. And I can say, God, you did right. You knocked the props out from under me. But you did right. He's God. And besides Him, there is none else. The path, the humble path of the God-conscious life is a path of divine impositions. You ever had God to deal with you about giving your last five dollars? Isn't that a little imposing? But our God knows the way through the wilderness. All we have to do is follow. One last word tonight. I'm glad that's not the end of the story. This poor woman making a cake and her and her son ready to die. Elijah drinking and eating. 
No, that's not the end of the story. That's not how it ends. Fifthly, I would say the humble path in the God-conscious life is a path of divine interventions. <laughs> Hallelujah! Where God guides, He supplies. Now, I'm not big on Bible numbers. I've met people that divide them, subtract them, multiply them. They say this means this. If it's not clear, I have difficulty with it. But I have noticed there are nine, there are nine widows in the Bible. And this one is number five. Five in the Bible seems to be the number of grace. It was on the fifth day that God blessed the earth and Adam and Eve. The fifth day got God's blessing. <laughs> Be that yea or nay. What happened down here in Zarephath was all of grace. God intervenes often in a miracle of grace. I love this 14th verse. Elijah said, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. She'd use all the meal, and then she'd say, Oh, thou man of God, there's still meal in the barrel. She'd use all the oil in the cruise, and she'd say, Oh, thou prophet of God, there's still oil in the cruise. It never failed. It's the miracle of grace. God multiplies what we Cannot even add to. He giveth more grace. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God's grace is miraculous. In providing, who would have ever dreamed that this woman would keep going to the meal barrel and find meal and keep going to the oil cruise and find oil? It was a miracle of grace. As far as I'm concerned, it's just as big a miracle as the resurrection of Lazarus in the New Testament. It's just as big a miracle as Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus women, men and children, women and children with five loaves and two fishes. It's just as big a miracle as Jesus walking on the water. 
And when God comes to your aid and God comes to my aid, and we know it's not of us because He's brought us down the humble path, I promise you, it's as big a miracle as any other miracle that's ever taken place. I was teaching the preacher boys the other week and emphasizing all the miracles of Jesus. And I told this story. I've heard it a hundred times, but apparently they hadn't heard it. I may have told it here before, or you may have heard it, but this, this boss man was a new boss man, and he was questioning all of his employees. And he said to this one woman, they tell me you've got religion. He said, do you believe the Bible? Oh, every bit of it, she said. He said, you mean you even believe all the miracles? Every one of them. He said, well, you weren't there when Jesus supposedly turned water into wine. How can you believe that? How can you believe that he turned water into wine? She said, no, sir. I wasn't there when he turned water into wine. But when he saved my husband, I watched him turn liquor into groceries. She had seen a miracle. Ah, <laughs> uh, the miracles of grace. The ministry of grace. Now again, you don't have to accept this. This may be for me. But if she picks up two sticks, which is, she said, I'm gathering two sticks in verse 12. Uh, that sort of makes a cross, doesn't it? And the meal that she cooks on that, those two sticks, that sort of points us to Christ, the offering, does it not? And the oil that she mingled into that, that little cake, must speak of the Comforter, the blessed Holy Ghost. Could it be that God is helping this little woman who has yielded to Him? He's helping her present the cross and the Christ of the cross and the blessed Holy Ghost who brought it all to be. Somebody said, well, I'm trying to follow the Lord, but I don't know what He's going to get out of. He's going to show somebody the cross in your life. He's going to point them to Jesus in your life. He's going to reveal the work of the, of the blessed Holy Ghost in your life. And that's worth it all to watch God intervene. Preaching meeting after meeting, I do not see great sweeping revival. Every time I preach, I do not see major movements of God the Holy Spirit every time I preach. But every now and then, walking that humble path, somebody sees and feels the power of the cross. And the Lord of glory who died there and the Holy Spirit draws their hearts to Jesus. And so I just keep preaching until the miracle takes place. I just keep preaching until I see God intervene. You're wasting your time, Tom. Well, you don't have to tell me that. The devil's already told me that. Get on the phone with my dear wife and... She says, you're staying longer this week. Why don't you 
Stop all your meetings on Tuesday night. Come on home early. Or get on the phone. One of the grand boys says, Papa, i got a game on Tuesday afternoon. Can you come? I say, honey, I'm in Mississippi. I can't come. But I keep going. And I keep praying. And I keep preaching. And I believe in due season, God will let the meal barrel produce. And God will let the crews of oil produce. And it will all be to His glory. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. You know this, but let me remind you of it. We get a big rainstorm on the mountain. Whether we want to keep all that rain or not, we can't. Because water keeps moving down to the lowest point. And it'll hit the top of the mountain, then it'll seep out into the creeks, into the river. It'll flow down all sides of the mountain. And the people down in the low place will get blessing also. Because water moves to the lowest point. That's the way it is with God's grace. Grace doesn't just come down, but it moves to the lowest point. If you feel helpless and weak and struggling and inadequate, it's coming right down to where you are. It's the humble path of the God-conscious life. You've been so kind. Let me pour out my heart. Would you stand with me, please? Our Father... Lord Jesus, blessed Spirit of grace, we cry out to Thee in our helplessness. We, we acknowledge our inadequacy. We hasten to admit that we have nothing in our hands that we can produce with. But Lord, we'd like to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Because we read that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Oh Lord, I pray for that dear mother tonight, that dear dad, that dear grandfather, grandmother, that young man, that young lady, that husband, that wife, Pray, Lord, that you'll help us to find our way down to where grace collects. We ask that thou wast plant these seeds of truth in the good soil of our souls and may it bring forth an abundant harvest in due season. In Jesus' 
gracious name we pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. While Lindsay plays, I wonder if there might be some others that'd like to come and bow down. Lord, I don't want to miss your provisions. I I don't want, Lord, to miss your fullness. For my children and my grandchildren, Lord, I want to humble down before you. There might be others that'd like to come. He giveth grace to the humble. Oh, I believe it with all my heart. Some of you remember where you were when God broke you in days gone by. He wants to bring you to that point of blessing afresh. From glory to glory. From faith to faith. Our Father, help us as we try to conclude these moments. I pray that Thou will save us from ourselves. I pray that Thy truth might soak in on us. Bring fruit according to Thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing this old song with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Sing that verse about our trials. Sing it through me. Yes. And snares. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Already come. Sing it now when we feel. 